I was born in 1970. I think of the years 1975 through 1986 as my growing up and coming of age, at least chronologically. There is still some debate as to whether I have actually grown up yet, but that's for another time. Although my generation witnessed some incredible advancements in technology, for most of us at that time, things were still very much old-fashioned. We had the things I've mentioned in earlier episodes, shameless self-promotion, like school sports, three local TV stations, the local playground, the movies as a special treat, boy and girl scouts, church activities, and the like. You might have been very lucky and had an amusement park in your town. I even ate at an honest-to-goodness department store lunch counter on more than one occasion. Sure, as time went on, we started to get video games, and that was way cool. But life was, well, simpler back then. By the early 1980s, however, us kids had another place to hang out. A place that brought together groups of screaming idiot kids, popular music, and video games. And its roots were about as old-fashioned as you could get. In 1743, a stage performance in London surprised and delighted audiences with a performer effortlessly gliding around the stage in an almost ghostly manner. This was a magical advance, and no one was quite sure how it was done, nor who the genius was that created this marvelous effect. In 1760, perhaps inspired by stories of this amazing feat, a man named John Joseph Merlin, seriously, look it up, attended a lavish party amongst socialites. Probably bored out of his mind, he presented his wizardly invention. A row of wheels upon the bottom of his shoes... He launched himself effortlessly across the floor, smashing into a full-length mirror, shattering it into a million pieces, and, although history remains mute on the subject, probably cutting himself up a right treat. Healy's have been stupid ever since. Mr. Merlin is the inventor of record of the roller skate. Just the skate. Not the means by which to turn or stop. Just a mirror-smashing genius whose vision fell a little short of the mark. It took until 1863 for the premier foot-based locomotion experts of the world to develop the quad skate, which allowed for turning motion, by introducing the pivot system that is so well known on skates and skateboards, allowing you to turn easily by shifting your weight one way or the other. In what is probably the best example of the true nature of mankind's intelligence, it was 13 years later before the toe stop was invented. I like to imagine that early skaters carried around full-length mirrors which they used to stop. It was tradition. Anyway, over the intervening years, roller skating became popular and folks flocked to it as a great entertainment and exercise. Things were so dull in those days that getting a blister was the highlight of many a person's day. The popularity of roller skating ebbed and flowed as most fads do. However, it never completely went away. Roller rinks were common gathering places for the public from the mid-1800s on. However, in America, it really didn't take off as a hobby until the 1930s. That was when the roller derby came to town. I'm not going to go into the roller derby here, but if you're not familiar, go look it up. 
It made a resurgence in the 2000s, but you really need to look at the original to truly appreciate how freaking insane this sport was. In 1970s America, roller skating had another huge surge in popularity because some genius, who I hope is burning in eternal fire, decided to couple roller skating with the popular music of the day, and thus was born Roller Disco. You haven't truly appreciated art until you have seen a man wearing a polyester shirt open to the navel, sporting love beads and a white boy perm, proudly displaying a mustache that would get you on a registry somewhere nowadays, bell-bottoms snapping like a flag in a gale, zipping around the rink to the melodious tones of the Bee Gees. It brings a tear to the eye. Roller skating was cheap, which made it accessible to most folks. The roller disco boom ended, and the 70s swingers faded into the night as disco died the death it deserved. The soundtrack changed to rock and roll and pop music, and the roller rinks became more kid and family friendly. The rinks were large buildings, well heated and blessedly air conditioned during the appropriate seasons, and secure. You paid, you came in, and you stayed for your session, usually three to four hours. If you left, you were done. This kind of set it up as the great place for parents to dump their kids. And being the late 70s and early 80s, that's just what they did. In droves. My local rank was called by the incredibly original and clever name of Skateland. I'm sure no one else thought of this for their rank. I usually spent four hours of every Saturday there, and a lot of Sundays, almost every weekend. Sometimes I was just dropped off there by my mother. Sometimes I went with the kids across the street. Didn't really matter. Chances were you would bump into somebody you knew, no matter when you were there. You walked into the lobby, across the galaxy print carpet, the likes of which you find in bowling alleys and stoners' bedrooms, popping under the blacklight and hiding an array of unidentified and undesirable substances spilled and ground in over the years. You approached the ticket booth, the plexiglass window with the 12 holes drilled at roughly mouth height and the opening at the bottom for passing the goods. You laid down your money and the attendant pressed a button, causing a little door to open up in the stainless steel plate under the window and your admission ticket emerged with an incredibly satisfying click. You were on your way. Admission varied depending on what session, what day or night of the week it was, and whether you needed to rent skates or if you were lucky enough to own your own. If you were cool like that, you had a bench just inside the doors where you could put on your skates and stow your fancy skate case in a secure room protected from the common rabble who had to rent their skates. I was that rabble. I had to proceed past the pro counter, where the owners, being not stupid, sold skates and accessories to those who had the coin. Past the snack bar on my left, down to the skate rental counter. It was purposely set on a 12-inch high riser, and it was a very tall counter, so the 5-foot-tall 16-year-old working behind the counter looked like a judge or some other authority figure, taking your rental ticket, asking your size, turning to grab a set of skates that were close enough to the stated size, and aiming a blast of disinfectant from a spray can at the skates. And missing. If you were lucky, the laces hadn't been torn short and filled with a million knots. If you were very lucky, the wheels moved smoothly. If you were blessed with fortune, there wouldn't be the sharp pointy bit of the screws holding the wheel plate to the bottom of the boot sticking through the sole and into your tender foot. I was very rarely lucky, periodically very lucky, and only once blessed with fortune.
One tended to forget these misfortunes, however, once the blisters started forming. Leaving the rental counter, one took a left, passing the bathrooms on the right and the narrow end of the snack bar area, also up on a 12-inch riser, and heading towards the benches. A long row of low-carpeted benches, each one 10 to 12 feet long and easily 4 feet wide, separated by a pathway at the end of each bench, stretching away to the far end of the building. To the left of the benches stood a four-foot-high, or so, cinder block wall that marked the edge of the rink. You sat on the benches and you put on your skates. To the right of the benches were the lockers, small cubicle lockers for your shoes and stuff. These are still common today. You put in your quarter, put your stuff inside, closed the door, and removed the key, listening to your quarter tumble away to the land where quarters are eternally blessed. I usually took my chances, grabbing a locker and tossing my shoes in, not locking it. Because they were just shoes, man. Well, that and the fact that then I had one more quarter to use to enjoy the beautiful amusements to be found at the roller rink. You see, the skating was the big feature, of course, but there were other ways to pass the time as well. I mentioned the snack bar. Oh, the glories contained therein. Hot dogs, true, honest-to-gosh, roller dogs, served in a warm, steamed bun in a ruffled cardboard tray. Fountain soda with that really awesome ice, you know, the kind of pebbly, lumpy, small pellets that made kind of a snow cone once the soda was gone. Oh, great stuff, man. Nachos that were covered with a cheese made out of equal parts molten lava and low self-esteem. You could get pixie sticks! If you don't know what pixie sticks are, I weep for you and all your progeny. Pure sugar with a sour component, colored and slightly flavored in grape, cherry, lime, or lemon. These were traditionally sold in a bag of small cardboard straws about six inches long and maybe a quarter of an inch across. But the roller rink just broke with tradition and sold pixie sticks in a plastic tube about 18 inches long and a full inch across. Portable diabetes at its finest and most accessible. Due to an event that I may or may not have had anything to do with, they only sold them to you as you were leaving the rink, however. My favorite snack bar treat had to be the giant tarts. These were sweet tarts, pucks of sugar that, like the pixie sticks, were colored and claimed to be flavored in those same fruit essences as the pixie sticks. The giant tarts were sweet tarts on steroids, three and a half inches across, three quarters of an inch thick, packaged in threes with a cherry, a grape, and the most glorious one of all, the center tart, lemon. Just writing that sentence made my mouth water. You can't get giant tarts these days. Well, you can, but they're chewy, which is just wrong. I would beat the package against the cinder block walls surrounding the rink until they shattered into pieces I could easily consume. Enjoying my sugary treat, I sat at one of the tables in the snack bar until I had reached maximum sugar saturation for the moment and skated out of the snack bar and headed for the rink. Slipping into the stream of traffic, skating counterclockwise around a huge oval, I would dart past the DJ booth where more of these adult teenagers hung out, one working as the DJ, the others avoiding doing the job they were paid for, that of being a skate guard a position with much gravitas, and requiring these stalwart keepers of the peace to occasionally blow a whistle and say, authoritatively, slow down. 
Thank you for your service, you glorious bastards. After a few quick loops around the rink, it was time for a visit to the water fountain. After a quick drink, I'd roll on into the restroom, complete the great circle of life, then partake of a ritual I had never seen take place anywhere else. The paper towels at this roller rink were brown, and thick, and sharp. You could wipe your nose right off your face and cauterize the wound at the same time. The only thing these towels were good for, other than capital murder, was what they called ceiling boomers. If you took one of these antisocial quote-unquote paper towels and got it wet, you could smooth it out flat. Then you folded it in a specific way that I am unable to disclose, partially because of a court order, but primarily because I can't remember, and then turn it over with the folds now at the bottom. You ended up with a wet square of brown paper, about four inches square. Now you moved on to the delicate part of the operation. Pinching only the very topmost layer of the square, you tore a small hole in the surface of the towel. Then you leaned down and gently blew into the package. It would puff up like a pastry, if the pastry was made out of wet wood pulp. Then you would gently pick it up on your palm, opening to the top, and then flat palm toss it as hard as you could straight towards the ceramic ceiling. Upon hitting it, if you threw it perfectly flat, the air would compress inside the puff and it would explode with a loud bang that would echo around the tile bathroom. If you were a champion, it would be loud enough to attract the attention of one of the skate guards. You would become legend. You'd also get thrown out for the day. But legend! Following another non-legendary attempt with the ceiling boomer, I proceeded to the next stage of my day at the rink. Back to the snack bar. Not for snacks. Not this time. This time I was after competition. I would head straight for the foosball table. If you aren't familiar with foosball, well, I am not going to describe it now. You'd better check with your old pal Mr. Google. I think I can probably squeeze a whole episode out of foosball somewhere down the line, so I'm keeping it close. Sometimes there was already a game in progress. If so, I'd lay my quarter on the edge of the table, the universal symbol for I got next. I would stand and watch the game progress, cheering for everybody and groaning at every bad shot. When the battle was over, I would take my place at the table, inviting whoever stood there and looked interested to oppose me. Rarely did I lack for an opponent, because even though I came from a family that certainly was not well-to-do, I was always given a supply of a couple bucks worth of quarters on skate days. People rarely turned down a free game. If the game went well, and I liked the person I played against, I would invite them to join me in a game of blitz, at least that's what I remember the name being, which was an early arcade game attempt at replicating football. It was a cocktail model, but a tall one, which required you to stand. At either end of the screen was a trackball, which looked like a cue ball from pool recessed halfway into the control surface of the machine. This allowed you to spin the ball with your palm, allowing for quick movement in any direction. This was a huge technological breakthrough, as it lent itself to rapid changes in direction and speed as well as efficiently creating blood blisters on all your fingers from getting pinched between the side of the ball and the control surface. Good times. After the football game, in all of its gray cathode ray screen glory, it was time for a few more laps around the rink, a visit to the traditional arcade game section, then back to the rink for a few more rounds until the changing quality of the lights, the activation of the disco ball in the center of the rink's ceiling, the deepened voice of the DJ, and the slow jam emanating from the speakers signaled the coming of the bad times, that most dreaded of events. 
the couple's skate. There are those who have found romance, even love, at the roller rink. Your humble narrator was not one of those folks. I always arrived at the rink single and was permanently cursed to leave single. It didn't help that I couldn't skate backwards. And trust me, you didn't want to be the guy in a couple where the girl was the one skating backwards. It was just not done, good listener. It was just not done. I have a long history of being both hopelessly attracted to the opposite sex and being hopelessly hopeless when trying to impress them. Once upon a time in junior high school, that fetid miasma of hormones and self-doubt, I was tremendously in love with a young lady with whom I shared a few classes. I could not bring myself to approach her directly. I mean, it wasn't like I was stalking her. You know, we knew each other and would talk. But I think I probably did an all right job of keeping my feelings for her bottled up and hidden as all good boys of the late 70s and early 80s were taught to do. One day, however, I had finally had too much. I had to say something. I marched straight up to her and told her of my love. Well, actually, I wrote a stupid little note that contained some drivel about how I really liked her and would reveal my identity to her, but slowly, mysteriously, to prolong the moment of anticipation. At the bottom of the note, I drew five dashes to indicate blank spaces. In the note, I explained that I would reveal one letter per week. One per week. What the hell was I thinking? Misty time, unfortunately, has robbed me of the recollection of whether I provided the first letter in the first note or not, but I think I probably did. And, with my cunning mind, to ramp up the suspense, I started from the last letter of my name. I was wily. I slid this first note, full of intrigue, through the slots at the top of her school locker. Okay, maybe I stalked her a little and made my escape. Again, age and distance prevent me from recalling exactly the sequence of events, but I do know that there was a second note, and, continuing with my deviousness, I revealed the first letter of my name, never hitting upon the fact that five-letter male names that start with an M and end with an E are not exactly abundant, and, of course, that the object of my affection wasn't an idiot. I don't believe that I went the full five weeks. I honestly don't recall if she approached me about it or if I somehow worked up the nerve to blow my cover on my own. But I do know that when the conversation happened, she said something along the lines of, yeah, I figured it out. Pretty obvious it was Moose. I don't think I even got a real rejection, just her admission that my little ruse was pathetic. I don't think she even said, I've got a boyfriend or anything. Just the blatant statement that she knew who the creep dropping notes in her locker was, and it didn't impress her at all. I mention all this only to point out that I was an idiot. This is very important to what follows. The owners of the skate rink were pretty shrewd business folks. The rink was open all day and sometimes overnight on Saturdays and Sundays. Most weeknights there was a session as well, some nights being over 18 or themed nights. Big building, high overhead. They knew enough to be open as much as possible. For whatever reason, Tuesday nights were very slow for the rink. So some genius, now I usually say that sarcastically, but I genuinely mean it this time, some genius came up with the idea of what they called a panda party. Basically, you could ask to host a panda party, and they would give you a stack of invitations. Panda party attendees got discounted admission that night by presenting the invitation. You had written your name on every one of the invitations. This is where the name comes in. I don't remember the exact numbers, but if a certain number of people attended, you won a stuffed panda bear. If you had, say, 20 people show up, you got a small one. 
If you had 30 people show up, you got a medium-sized one. But if you hit 40, you took home the giant panda bear, guaranteed to annoy the hell out of your parent as you tried to get it into the car at the end of the session. I was going to have a panda party. I left session one Saturday, clutching my stack of invitations, having scheduled my party for two Tuesdays away. I spent that Sunday filling out the invitations and planning who to invite. I wanted to win that giant panda to give to another girl I was severely crushing on at that time. I knew enough to secure a few committed attendees before casually giving her an invitation. If I could mention a few of the cool kids that would be there, she was far more likely to say she would come. I have never worked as hard at anything as I did on getting 40 people to come roller skating on that cold Tuesday night. I lobbied, cajoled, bartered, even threatened, assisted the entire time by my close friend, whom I shall refer to as DB for the purposes of this recording. He knew that my goal was to win the panda for the light of my life and make her fall madly in love with me, and he did everything he could to help me. The night came, and I, full of nerves and stomach bile, arrived early at the rink. I made my way to the ticket booth, paid my admission, and told them I was here for my party. I hurried and got my skates so I could be waiting by the pro counter to welcome my guests as they arrived. DB got there shortly after I did, and he came to wait with me, being a good and supportive friend. One by one the guests arrived, my heart leaping as the numbers rose. My hard work was paying off. Ten guests, fifteen, twenty. Then she swept in, accompanied by a couple of her girlfriends, whom I made sure to invite so the object of my plans would feel comfortable. I smiled and said hello, thanked them for coming, and said I'd meet up with them later, as I wanted to greet all the guests. D.B., Ever the gentleman, escorted the young ladies over to the skate rental counter, which I certainly would have done had duty not required my presence at the entry. Twenty-five guests. Thirty. Thirty-seven! It was twenty minutes after the start of the party. I was worried. I had gotten to the medium bear, but I needed the giant one. The giant one was the only one large enough to express my burning teenage love. I must have it. Just as I was about to collapse and sob and despair, dramatically, like an emo kid long before emo kids were invented, my salvation arrived. I forgot about the YMCA league football team. They had a late practice that night and had told me they would be about 45 minutes late. They streamed through the doors, jostling with their cheerleader girlfriends, and my guest total rocketed up to the incredible number of 52. I had achieved my goal. The giant panda was mine, and soon to be hers. I would get the panda, much like the giant pixie sticks, as I was leaving the rink. I zipped off to skate, throw wet paper towels at the bathroom ceiling, play video games, and hang with DB, all while occasionally seeing the love of my life skating by with her giggling girlfriends, and I delighted in thinking that they had no idea of the grand gesture I had planned. I was floating. I don't think my wheels touched the floor at all that night. I still made myself scarce during the couple's skate, as I hadn't suddenly mastered the art of backwards skating. In retrospect, I probably should have tried. The session came to an end. I headed to the pro counter to claim my prize. DB, following the plan, made sure to herd the girl and her associates to the pro counter as well. They arrived just as I was handed the giant panda. I turned to her and said, I'd like you to have this, and I held it out to her. She flushed bright red, smiled, her very eyes glistened. She delicately reached out, took the bear, and looked deep into my soul with those glistening eyes. My heart melted in exquisite agony. She turned to the closest girlfriend and pushed the bear into her hands. Hold this for me, she said. Then she turned back to me. 
with the most beautiful little smile and those glistening eyes, a hint of crimson still upon her cheeks, she said, Thank you so much. I love it. This was it. The moment she would declare her love for me, I braced myself, sneakily licking my lips so they would be soft and supple when they met hers. She turned, planted a wet kiss right on DB's lips, said, See you at school tomorrow, and rushed out the door, followed by her giggling girlfriends and, most importantly, the giant stuffed panda. DB slipped out immediately after. Turns out, DB really liked her too, but her parents couldn't stand DB. He knew that the roller rink was the only place he could get away with seeing her, so he helped to make it a big success so she would show up. He asked her to go steady during a couple skate while I was in the bathroom throwing wet paper towels at the ceiling. The moral of our story? Even a giant panda can't save an idiot. You have been out of time with Moose.